Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Baked and Awake podcast. This is your host, Steve Kaminsky. I want to take a moment at the beginning of the episode today, not for my usual succession of pitches. No shout-outs today, although I, since I did write them out, they'll still be in the show notes. Um, but no exhortations to buy t-shirts to support the show or write reviews anywhere. Uh, in fact, the most important part of this entire episode is happening right now, and it'll be over in just a moment. I honestly won't be mad at anyone for turning the show off the moment I'm through. Although there is content to follow the words I am about to say. Thank you all, as always, for being here and for listening. This episode is dedicated to the memory of a member of my family taken from us too soon due to the ravages of drug addiction. This family member was deeply loved during her short, painful life. she loved back fiercely in return. She will be dearly missed by those closest to her, as well as by those of us who wish we knew her better while we still had the chance to do so. Her name was Madison Hack. She was just 22 years old and beautiful. I cannot and will not turn this short moment of recognition of a life into an opportunity to soapbox about the dangers of opiates in all their forms or the potential efficacy of cannabis as an alternative to such things in a person's life. Perhaps we may save all that talk for another day, though, when we have the benefit of time and healing between ourselves and this moment. Let it be enough for now to say that I was reminded today of the value of life. I was reminded of what my own two boys mean to me and my wife. I thought about my five-year-old son, Ken. I love you, Kenny. Kenny already shows signs of anxiety, complex emotions that sometimes resemble depression. Depression in a five-year-old. And yes, we are looking into family therapy for help in dealing with this. I also thought of my own siblings who I love so much. The challenges they all have faced and continue to face in their lives. Most of them 
are parents of young families themselves? I was reminded that opiates are literally everywhere around us. And that the so-called opioid crisis that is so often talked about on TV these days is fucking real. So real. It's so much closer to us all than we ever dare to imagine. I'll wrap it up. It's enough for now in a hastily conceived mini-speech. It does Madison no honor, though, to treat this as a throwaway topic or as a moment to leverage for any purposes other than to express my love and sadness both for her and the loving and beautiful family who now mourns her loss. I'll leave a few links in the show notes to some resources on drug addiction, recovery, and treatment. I hope to God none of you listening now or later on is personally struggling with this yourselves. But maybe you know someone who is. We all know sometimes a person can't be helped until and unless they want to be. But we can try to be ready to help them when they do ask. Or perhaps we can be one of the ones to ask them, can I help? We will be talking about hard drug addiction and its costs more in the future of this show. Madison, wherever you are right now, I sincerely hope you are at peace and out of pain. We love you. And in your honor, I'm sure that every member of your enormous family, as well as our humble Baked and Awake family, will hold someone dear to them a little closer tonight. Okay, um... We'll pause here for a moment, and I'll do a little transition. Um, light the blunt that I prepared for this episode, and, and we'll come back, and, and we'll get on down to some cannabis talk this week. Thank you for listening, everyone. We'll be back in just a moment.
Okay, we're back, and thank you everyone for those of you who are still with us, um, you know, for working with me through a moment of, you know, off script and slightly off format realness. That's what's going on right now, so. All right, uh, well, I'm about halfway through this blunt, which I'm smoking through an interesting and strange uh, filter tip from, I think, ZigZag, who is making these, um, and this thing filled up and got black pretty quickly uh, with a big old blunt in it, um, you know, I probably had two and a half, three grams of weed in this blunt, maybe two and a half grams, I don't know, a lot, anyway. And, um, but I like the filter tip. I probably wouldn't use it out in public with the boys, but it makes it easy to hold. It's not bad that way. Gives you a nice thing to clamp on, you know, in between your teeth. Visualize a pipe tip or a classic cigarette tip, you know, from like ladies in the, in the movies in the 40s and 50s and stuff. Um... Not, you know, minus the extension. But yeah, I'm getting pretty twisted off of it, so, um, you know, as DJ Short Blueberry is wont to do, uh, being an indica-leaning strain. This one came from Clandestine Gardens, um, great higher-end, uh, Washington legal cannabis grow. Um, Clandestine really seems to be consistent with their quality, really great stuff, everything I've come across from them. Uh, I scooped it at Have a Heart in Skyway. Um, Alright, so we're jumping into our first story here. Um, one of several about just little miniature cannabis-related, industry-related, and uh, mildly politically-related updates. Uh, this story comes from Gondrepreneur. So Gondrepreneur, as the name might indicate or allude to, uh, you know, is a cannabis industry entrepreneur-oriented sort of uh, website and blog. Uh, they send out pretty regular email newsletter that's, I got to say, reasonably informative. And uh, it takes sort of the larger, you know, high-level North American you know, and and larger view the the whole world, but definitely the content we get pushed to us here is is you know North American focused, and they have regional um, information and sections on their site that you can visit. So I, I like them. I've I've you know probably subscribed to content of different kinds from them for a couple few years now. Um, so. This, there's a recent story, and um, you know, this is the jumping off point to a story in The Stranger, that is the original story. Um, we've got a story here that they, they tell us Seattle officials seek to vacate and dismiss cannabis convictions. So, before I jump into it, you know, wow, what a headline, what a. This is that's a development. This is wild. This was mentioned in, I believe, San Francisco, California, a week or so ago. I want to say the new Massachusetts market is talking about ways of implementing versions of this, and a couple other legal markets as well. So, as we hoped, and this isn't the first time we mentioned anything like this, because I did mention in brief in passing the San Francisco headline about a similar prospect as I hoped immediately then we're seeing this idea spread uh, these are baby steps um, and while the messenger may be imperfect as we'll slowly come to see or opine uh, here in a bit uh, you know again the net result, effect, influence, 
being exerted here, being expressed here, I believe is positive. Uh, let's read a little bit further. So still on Gondrepreneur's website, this story is by TJ, TG Braunfault. Okay, it came out on the 9th of February. In an op-ed in The Stranger, popular Seattle uh, music and uh, pop culture, food, you know, urban living kind of um, magazine, uh, newspaper, uh, like weekly type publication in Seattle, if you're not familiar with it. Um, in an op-ed in The Stranger, Washington's alt-weekly, yep, uh, Mayor Jenny Durkin, our newly elected mayor, announced that she has directed city attorney Pete Holmes to ask Seattle's municipal court to vacate convictions and dismiss charges for misdemeanor cannabis possession. It says, here's why this is necessary, quote. So this is the mayor's words. While minor marijuana possession has been both the lowest enforcement priority for the Seattle Police Department since Seattle voters passed Initiative 75 in 2003. The city continued to charge for possession until City Attorney Holmes took office in 2010. Durkin and the Stranger. I-75 mandated that arrests of adult cannabis users would become the lowest priority for Seattle's law enforcement agencies. Durkin pointed out that affected individuals would not have to take any action to get the convictions thrown out. That's, that's cool. Much like the reforms underway in San Francisco, California. Quoting again, addressing the wrongs that were caused by the failures of the war on drugs for many years in this country, and particularly the damage wrought on communities of color, won't happen overnight. We must provide more effective alternatives to prosecution and incarceration through drug and mental health courts, restoring rights and supporting reentry. Again, Mayor Jenny Durkin. In her role as an attorney, Durkin worked with former King County prosecutor Norm Mailing to create one of the first drug courts in the nation. As a U.S. attorney under former President Barack Obama, she helped create one of the nation's first federal drug courts. So there, as they close, they paint her, you know, as certainly a champion of some progressive drug policies, um, you know, and one who's implemented them, evidently, in her career. So, okay. So uh, they have the links to the story in The Stranger, and they did a great job of pulling out the highlights there in terms of the sound bites from the mayor. There's more there uh, in terms of substance in The Stranger article, but I think we'll, we'll let that stand for itself. The link to The Stranger article is, of course, in the show notes, as will be the link to the Gondrepreneur jumping-off point. Not to jump too quickly away from that story, I would like to uh, also share something of a, uh, like, counterpoint um, that uh, comes from a friend of mine, my friend uh, Andrew Saturn, who is a local progressive political activist. Uh, you know, fellow lefty like myself, Andrew has become involved in local and regional politics in recent years, even moving from Seattle down to Olympia, Washington, to get closer to the action um, in the state capitol. So, what I've got from Andrew is an email that he wrote that he was inspired to compose to the mayor upon reading the piece in The Stranger. And you may hear me clicking, because yes, indeed, I'm trying to open the image file that I have with the 
email in the background while my poor little Chromebook chugs along to save its life. Uh, Andrew points out in this email that the mayor has a perhaps more complex relationship with uh, the war on drugs than might be indicated by this particular move, this recent move. All right, and here we are. Just magnify it a little bit for myself. So this is the actual text of the email, which Andrew shared online and gave me permission as well, by the way, to share here in this forum. Mayor Durkin, today your office, using the stranger as a platform for your office, announced it will be vacating convictions for misdemeanor drug offenses. Link to the stranger article. In November 2011, as a federal prosecutor, you went against the instructions of U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder and President Barack Obama and raided and prosecuted medical marijuana dispensaries across the state for, quote, money laundering and drug trafficking. These were felony convictions for which many people are still in prison. Link to a relevant story covering that action taken in 2011. He continues, while it's great that you're getting out, getting rid of the small misdemeanor offenses which haunt people trying to get loans, get a job, or go to school, many people are still suffering for your part in the racist and misguided war on drugs. To pretend you are making a huge change in undoing the wrongs you committed when you were a federal prosecutor is misleading at best. Not only did you not care about the plight of the people you were putting behind bars, many of whom are black, you are now pretending you had no part in the war on drugs and knew it was wrong all along? Come on. Until you make a statement regarding those who you put in prison for providing medical marijuana to people. This is nothing more than hashtag resistance lip service. Sincerely, Andrew Saturn, Executive Director of Woke Washington. Thank you, Andrew, for giving permission to share that, I believe, well-crafted and very well-thought-out email to the mayor. Uh, I think that one thing I personally can do is send an email with similar sentiments to the mayor's office. And I guess I'm encouraging those others of you, particularly those of you who live here in Washington, Western Washington in particular, Seattle most especially, to consider doing the same. I guess I just gave myself a little bit more homework in the form of probably needing to provide links and email addresses that are appropriate for passing that message along in the show notes, and I think I can do that for you. So we'll work on that. All right, and then uh, next we have a... Bit of an interesting, ongoing uh, 
point of aggravation uh, here in the industry, okay, in Washington State. So not to get too nitty-gritty on everybody here who's just casual stoners, you know, just, you know, knock out that fucking ashy bottom of the bowl that you're still nursing, put a pack of freshy. Um, I think I'm about done with having fun with this blunt. I'm checking, and I only have a fractional amount left. It, you know, went out just a moment ago before it uh, hits the crutch, and I think I'm gonna call it. I'm gonna call it good. I mean, there ain't nothing. No transcendental experiences left in there to have, so we're gonna just call that good. Leave that alone. But you guys get something fresh. Um, and we're gonna talk about some sort of the ups and downs of what's been going on with uh, Washington State's legal industry and our new, uh, we call it in the industry, the traceability uh, solution for the state, which is the seed to sale cannabis tracking um, inside the marketplace. So this article that I've got is from a uh, blog called govtech.com. Or a website, I guess that's a fairer term for it. GovTech.com, they have a magazine, I guess. Um, here we see their headline is, Washington State's new marijuana tracking system hits big problems, causing issues for businesses. Anybody listening right now who's a bud tender or a producer or processor in Washington State knows exactly what I'm talking about right now. And without reading one word of this article off the top of my head, I can enumerate the following for the first several days of a recent switchover that was a long delayed and very fraught uh, switchover from the former state sanctioned solution Biotrack I believe it's a, a Florida software company um, based you know originally um Solutions provider who uh, had been with Washington State since the launch of the market in 2014 uh, to a new solutions provider called MJ Freeway. Uh, so one contract expired, and I believe Biotrack, uh, to give you the Ultra Cliffs Notes version, um, ended up early on potentially contending, and then very quickly, uh, as their contract was nearing its uh, expiration and they were going to face needing to bid again for the job to keep it, um, they declined to keep working with Washington State and our uh, Liquor Control Board or the Liquor and Cannabis Board today. Uh, and uh, we were quickly left with a situation where we had almost nobody stepping into the breach to uh, offer a new solution that would actually fit the requirements. A company called MJ Freeway steps up to the plate Surprise, surprise, they're also from Florida. I don't know. Uh, I, I, last I checked, we're still ahead of Florida on legalization uh, by quite a bit, but that's where these guys are coming from, it seems like. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, anybody, if I'm off base there. Anyway, uh, not important. We've got a new solutions provider. It took months to do the switch over. The new system needed to you know, integrate with the state's exhaustive database of information of several hundred producers and processors, several hundred retailers, historical transaction data for all of them, as well as, in the case of the producers and processors, um, you know, a enormous database of plants, both uh, live and, you know, in the grow and uh, in various states of processing, curing, packaging, and heading on out. Uh, so to get to the specifics of the problems with the switchover, okay, so Biotrack goes away, MJ Freeway comes in, we've all known this was going to happen for months, got pushed back a couple times due to, you know, whether it was bugs or, you know, features not working, things not ready to go live into production in an environment with millions of dollars of business per month. Um, first week out. For the first day or two, I think nobody could create or transfer manifests. Manifests, of course, being the shipping, the primary shipping document that goes with your product when it leaves your facility and goes to any destination facility. Uh, so two, three days of that right out of the gate, while every single third-party solutions provider for uh, you know your business running back end that integrates with 
the stateside traceability uh, did backflips through their own asses trying to fix bugs and get things back up and working again and get things like manifests working again. Manifests, when they did go through and transfer, were doing crazy things like changing the numbers and quantities of things that were included on the manifest and or changing prices, in some cases, of invoices associated with manifests. So, pervasive problems in mission-critical areas of the workflow, obviously, for doing business. So, uh, you know, everyone's been killing themselves, working on workarounds and bug fixes and getting things stood back up and doing what they're supposed to do again. In my case and in a whole lot of other people's cases, uh, late-breaking QA quality assurance test results for, for example, our flower. None of that stuff posted to the system. So many fields, uh, you know, not every flower has every single cannabinoid that they hit on and that you need to record the data for, but there are a number of variables that ordinarily would be picked up by and uh, populated by the system under, in particular, the new feature set. Uh, so I, for example, had a bunch of failed test results that we had to get forced past and that, you know, I need to do a lot of extra communicating around and sharing of QA results around while also going back and manually entering that data into the system. Lots of folks are manually correcting broken manifests and invoices like we're talking about. Uh, loads of retailers have simply paused on receiving new orders. So this is actually downstream in the very near term will be seen as a slowdown in uh, revenue for producers and processors supplying those retailers. Now, There'll be a slight rebound as people recuperate and take orders that were on hold in a, another week or so as things continue to get sorted out. But you can see where I'm going with this. This is actually quite a uh, problem for quite a lot of people all around the state. Uh, let's give it to you here from uh, governmenttechnology.com, though. Uh, Evan Bush uh, of the Seattle Times uh, wrote this. Uh, so this may be a Seattle Times article being pushed through to government tech. It says here, widespread technology issues with the state's new pot tracking system have kept marijuana growers and sellers scrambling since last week, and store managers saying they're beginning to worry about increasingly sparse shelves. Washington State requires marijuana products to be tracked from seed to sale, or from when it's planted when it's sold to a user through what it calls traceability system. We've just explained that pretty well, hopefully for you. Last Thursday, the state switched to a new contractor, MJ Freeway, to provide a new software and data hub for traceability. The transition to Leaf Data Systems has been anything but smooth frustrated pot growers and sellers say. Right now, it sort of seems like the whole industry is a wreck statewide, said Steve Lee, who owns two marijuana stores with his wife, who is also a city councilman in Kennewick. It's been a rough week so far, said Lindy, Lindsay Short of DB3, a Seattle company that makes cannabis-infused candies and other edibles. We've probably shipped... 30 or 40 sales orders, and had only five get through the system. The traceability system serves as something of a hub for pot transactions. It allows state regulators to watch the entire industry and flag the suspicious movements of plants or products. Every plant grown is supposed to be recorded in the system, documented when processed into an edible product or packaged, and then recorded when sold to customers. Wholesale transactions between growers and retailers are also noted, along with shipping information. The state was supposed to switch to a new data system last November, but that was delayed after the company initially selected for contract negotiation by the State Liquor and Cannabis Board withdrew from consideration. That's Biotrack. They... 
MJ Freeway only had between July and October 31st to put together their system. It wasn't ready, said Brian Smith, a spokesman for the LCB. For the last three months, the state has been using a contingency system in which pot businesses submitted spreadsheet files with their traceability data. Yes. Yes, we have. Now, pot proprietors report myriad different issues with the newly launched seed-to-sale system. Some have struggled to get logged in at all. Yeah, absolutely. We were locked out for over a day. Uh, Some growers say that the system has been scrambling shipping orders and sometimes automatically changing which store is supposed to receive the marijuana. Some store managers, meanwhile, say they've not been able to receive shipping manifests and don't feel comfortable buying wholesale pot without that required documentation. Some reported that the disruption halted business altogether since the first of the month. Others reported that it slowed business down or made simple tasks cumbersome. By and large, we just can't get product right now. We're basically selling off our backstock, said Jason McKee, general manager of Ganja Goddess, a pot shop in Seattle's Soto neighborhood. He said shelves are beginning to look more sparse, and if the technology issues don't allow a fully functioning wholesale market soon, some stores could face shortages. Alex Cooley vice president of Solstice, a marijuana grow, said his company was having to relabel each plant with a new barcode because of technical issues. I think they're working on that so that we don't have to do that as much right now. I think I read uh, some messaging about that in an email in the last couple days. Anyway, officials with the state and MJ Freeway said that widespread bugs in the system have been fixed. Quote, there was a legitimate issue with transfers in the system, said Jeanette Horton, vice president of global marketing and communications for MJ Freeway. That got resolved Monday. She said other problems stem from integration issues with third-party companies whose software connects with the LEAF data system and is used by marijuana companies for internal tracking and bookkeeping. She said it was a priority to get that third-party software integrated. So those are your green bits for all your retail uh, shops and solutions like that, um, Growflow and others for producers and processors. Yeah, you guys, it's a, it's a scene. It's a real scene. Um, okay, they're almost done here. They say marijuana business owners have flooded both the liquor and cannabis board and MJ Freeway with calls trying to troubleshoot issues. Lee. The city councilman said he spent six hours on hold last Thursday with the LCB trying to sort out a problem with his software credentials. He was told he needed to get in touch with MJ Freeway. On Friday, he waited on his phone for four hours until it died, he said. He waited all day Monday on the line and tried to use the company's callback system but couldn't reach anyone. Finally, on Tuesday morning, Lee said he got helped and could access the data system. Yeah, we were fortunate. It was eh, like two days, uh, under two days for us. Uh, Horton acknowledged it could take hours to reach someone at MJ Freeway, but said the company had called all hands on deck to answer questions. Meanwhile, The rumor mill among pot proprietors fueled a feeling of chaos within the industry. It's a nonstop mess of emails, text messages, and phone calls between everyone, Lee said. It reminds me a lot of high school kids passing gossip about, like, sex ed. No one knows anything, but maybe one kid, and it's telephone from there. We're all feeling around in the dark. Joe B. Sewell, who owns Seattle Bubble Works, a pot processing company, said smaller companies could face cash flow issues because of the disrupted market. Most of us are living 
sale to sale. And you're talking about a week where you can't get any sales. I have employees. Now, I'm not sending anybody home yet, but I thought about having people take a few days off. Sewell said his company typically sells $10,000 to $20,000 worth of pot each week. Product each week. Excuse me. But hasn't been able to fulfill a shipment yet. So, since the changeover. Quote, I hope, I'm hoping I can get some deliveries out by Friday. But there's no guarantee. Sewell said. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's all totally accurate. And mostly mirrors what I said about it. And we're still getting through these issues right now as I'm talking to you. Um, as I said, I'm still back filling data into the system, looking at a bunch of invoices um, for you know samples. And in one case, an order that has yet to be received yet on, on the receiving end, probably because the managers on those ends are afraid to press the receive manifest button on their end uh so uh we're keeping an eye on it uh expecting that it will get resolved uh, the the you know key crucial issues in the next coming few days uh so we can hopefully all resume normal reporting normal bookkeeping and business as usual out there uh, I think the pinch is being felt immediately, so the motivation for a solution should be, you know, commensurate with that need. All right. Link to that story at gov.tech, govtech.com, excuse me, in the show notes. Okay. Our last story is related to the story we just finished. And uh, this also has to do with the Washington traceability changeover and uh, the other big headline of the week. Uh, but it may not be a headline to you guys, but it's a, it's a little bit of a headline to me that I'm realizing that I'm such an enormous stoner that apparently I'm not dead from that blunt. And in fact, I'm going to take a dab before we're through here. Right now with you, as a matter of fact. So, um, let's do this. It's going to get loud for a second. Got to torch it up. Um, well, so I'll take this opportunity to remind you, as always, uh, you know, if you're newer to concentrates and dabbing, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to skin this cat. You can do it with an e-nail. You can do it with a battery-powered dab rig these days. There's a couple of those coming on the market. Um, but a lot of us still use, uh, you know, a propane torch or a map gas torch or a little butane handheld torch of some kind. I'm literally using like a fucking Coleman garage shop household blow torch right now. Um, and you know, you heat it up good and hot, get all your old last hit off of the nail, um, let that smolder off. And, uh, Normally, I give it, you know, 40 to 45 seconds to cool off before we take a dab. So, and that's different nail to nail, banger to banger, your little quartz bowl. Some of them hold their heat a little longer than others, and obviously it depends on how long you heat it for, but... If you heat it up to a good enough point that you're getting your nail clean, it's going to be hot enough that it's going to need to cool down for a good 30 to 40 seconds at minimum. 45 is nice for a, what we call the low temp dab. 
Let's try her out. probably won't edit tonight it's 11 30 recording right now so you know enjoy that dab tell everybody one more story here real quick and we'll sign her off all right so this one direct from the seattle times i guess i should i should have signed up for the free nine week sunday paper subscription that the kid was selling couple of weeks ago to me uh but the last time we did that i don't know if you've done that in recent years but the last time we did that we had 90 days worth of recycling of newspapers that we never used for anything except for in a couple of instances we used it for bedding for our bunny rabbit yeah baby chicks so didn't read i don't think we read a single paper uh but SeattleTimes.com, you're still online. I think we need you. So, you know, don't go out of business yet. I think I've mined like three of your articles tonight alone. So, yeah, go ahead and don't go out of business. All right. This story says, Washington pot tracking system, already dogged with problems, was hacked, state says. Uh, This came out on the 8th. Just a couple days ago. The state's new marijuana tracking system has been dogged by problems since its launch last Thursday. Over the weekend, the system was hacked. and Shipping information and other data were stolen. The state reported a week after its launch. Our friend Evan Bush seems to be the uh, man on the marijuana beat here for the Seattle Times because we've got another story by him here. The state's new pot tracking system was hacked last weekend, and an intruder stole route information associated with four days of marijuana deliveries, as well as other information. It was a breach of the system, and indications show they downloaded a copy of the traceability database, says Brian Smith, a spokesman for the Liquor and Cannabis Board. It did something in the system, I'm not at liberty to talk about, that affected the transfer and manifest data that was, in part, responsible for the issues this week. So there we go. So they're claiming... He's claiming there that that was malware not just a hack. Interesting. The state on February 1st transitioned to a new marijuana traceability system, Leaf Data Systems, which has been dogged by problems since its launch. They're repeating themselves. The technology issues have kept marijuana growers and sellers scrambling to keep their businesses running. Some have worried about keeping marijuana on increasingly sparse store shelves. Problems associated with the hack were discovered Saturday by MJ Freeway, the company providing the data service and pot tracking software. On Monday, the company identified the problem as a, quote, possible security incident and notified the LCB. According to a message that went out to all marijuana licensees on Thursday, I guess. At that point, the LCB contacted the Washington State Office of Cybersecurity which is investigating the hack. Smith said marijuana businesses were not notified of the attack until Thursday because of that agency's protocol. I just, yeah, always with this. 
The security flaw was resolved on Monday, Smith said. The state agency plans to continue using MJ Freeway as a vendor. Quote, no online presence is 100% safe, he said. There are steps that MJ Freeway has taken to ensure that it's secure and meets modern standards. We are sticking with MJ Freeway. In addition to transportation manifests, vehicle delivery information like type, license plate number, and VIN number were also taken in the hack. That information is available through public record requests, Smith said. So he's indicating that, yes, it was hacked, but you can get that information through public record requests. Um... And I guess that's probably true, and I would also point out that the state database, at least of license holders, one of their bigger databases isn't behind too big of a layer at all. Uh, that can be accessed by almost anyone um, you know, who provides an email and wants to get it sent to them or get access to it, um, you know, if you're part of the industry. Uh, so... But I think they went a layer deeper than just the license holder database, obviously. So uh, let's see here. So, th so this is kind of key, and this is the next thing they say. MJ Freeway, that parent company, our, our solutions provider, has had products hacked several times before. And that's a link to the story. And source code for some of its software was posted online last year, also a link. According to Marijuana Business Daily, an industry publication, so maybe both of those stories are at MJ Business Daily. Um, I am familiar with them as well for sort of industry news. Pop Proprietors Thursday questioned the LCB's selection of MJ Freeway, considering its previous breaches. What are you going to do? You know, it's kind of late, guys. It's been a pretty well-known fear. MJ Freeway was not Fort Knox. Boy, was everybody right straight out of the gate, said Steve Lee who owns two marijuana businesses and is a Kennewick City Councilman. Marijuana traceability systems were designed in part to help regulators satisfy Obama-era federal guidelines about marijuana diversion. If pot could be tracked, the theory went, then federal officials would have more assurances it wasn't crossing state lines or going into the black market. Lee said the hack has eroded the traceability system's integrity and will have him sleeping less easy about federal involvement in the state's legal marijuana market. Good point, Steve Lee. It's a catastrophic failure at the state level, and it leaves us all worrying about our futures, he said. What the hacker or hackers, in parentheses, were after is not immediately clear, but pop proprietors worried that data could be manipulated. If somebody can get in and read the data, they can also write code to it, or write to it. They can disrupt the entire industry. That opens up corporate blackmail, said Logan Bowers, co-owner of Seattle Pot Shop, hashtag. Bowers worked in software for about 20 years before opening his store. Common story amongst license holders here in Washington State. We have a lot of tech-savvy license holders in Washington State. So there's a lot of people who have some, uh, you know, varying levels, you know, deep levels of awareness of what things like APIs are and database administration is and you know defect tracking and exploits <laughs> and uh yeah a lot of a lot of uh things that you know you've got you've got a good community in in Washington state in this market to help you know uh sort of participate in the resolution of issues, I bet, in, in a few cases. I wouldn't be surprised, but uh, yeah. Alright, so 
Yeah, they're just about done here. Uh, so they say here, uh, even with the hack issue resolved, pop proprietors said the industry is not running at full speed because of myriad other tech issues during the state's transition to leaf data systems. Absolutely the case. Absolutely true. Bowers has said his store was only able to get three of six scheduled shipments Thursday. Most of the vendors he buys from are not able to deliver marijuana yet. Jeremy Moberg, a marijuana grower in Okanagan County, said that the state should return to the contingency system it had been using for several months during a gap in service for traceability vendors. The state was supposed to transition to a new data system last November, but that was delayed after the company initially selected for contract renegotiation by the LCB withdrew from consideration. So that's, you know, review. All right, so there we go. Yeah, last three months, pop businesses have been submitting thousands of spreadsheet files each week to the LCB with their traceability data, a cumbersome manual process. It's, yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. Because it's... I mean, it's everything that these systems are designed to, you know, alleviate for us and basically make day-to-day business possible without literally dying from the simple overhead of doing the work the way it needs to be done to be legal. So, all right. So that great story. Um, who's our guy there? Evan Bush. Thank you, Evan. Great story on that hack. And... Um, yeah, guys, that is the roundup for this week. And, yeah, it's all Washington-centric. I would love to get, you know, help from my California friends, from my Oregon industry friends. Uh, let me know what the, you know, real areas of challenge are for both of you, Uh Alaska, wherever you are. I mean, I, I, there might be a broken record. I've been saying this. Uh, I'll keep saying it because you guys are starting to talk to me. I know you are. You're around. I'll be hearing from you. I expect to hear from you. I hope to hear from you. I want to, you know, help understand, uh, yeah, what what you're dealing with too. Uh, some of it's probably similar. Some of it's probably entirely different. And maybe something we want to know about and need to know about in some cases. So... All right. Uh, I guess the things I left out. Sorry, a little sudden uh, jump there. Had a little fumble. All right, yeah, so the things I left out were basically I went to a great event last week, the Kush Marketplace event. Uh, thank you, uh, Kush Marketplace folks, for putting that on. That was another uh, local industry event, producers, processors, retailers. Kush Marketplace also, I believe, are the folks that uh, are the Kush tourism folks, uh, a great cannabis tourism industry, uh, cannabis tourism uh, company here in the uh, local area. So check them out. Uh, also industry focused but with a couple of days for the public is Canacon coming up in just a few days and this is the last chance I'll get to say holler at me if you want to get together and say hi at Canacon uh, I don't know it would be great to you know talk about making content together or uh, just catch up and high five and maybe session somewhere off campus Uh you know, during the event, um, you can hit me up at talk to us at bakedandawake.com. All right, everybody. It's been a great episode. Uh, I really, really appreciate everyone hanging out and listening as always. Uh, and yeah, make it a great week wherever you're at. Take care of yourselves. Take good, good care of your loved ones. And if you're smoking, and I hope you are, I hope that you smoke indica and do shit anyway. <laughs>